So our Advent wreath is what we light to sort of remember the anticipation with which we view Christmas. And so the very first Sunday was the candle of hope. Very good. The second Sunday was peace. Third Sunday was, that's right. And then last Sunday, love. And tonight, well, the waiting is over. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is here by lighting the Christ candle in the middle. I think, um, I think Harmony might be getting a new TV for Christmas this year. <laughs> I think we have some issues over there. Um, okay. So I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the loneliest moment in my life occurred when I was about 10 years old. Um, that was about the time that I had agreed reluctantly to go to summer camp. Now, this wasn't a camp that was in the town I lived in. This wasn't a camp that was even in the state that I lived in. This was a camp clear over in Ohio, several hours drive from our house. It was actually called Fort Scott, and until it closed in, I think it was 88 or 89, it was the oldest and longest running uh, Roman Catholic children's camp in the country. Uh, I didn't know that until I had looked it up. Um, but up to that point, I don't believe that I had ever been away from home for even a night. I mean, I had not ever spent the night at anybody else's house. Uh, 
So I had never been away from home for any kind of an extended period of time. So when my dad and my brother dropped me off and, and drove away, leaving me in the company of a bunch of strange kids and one random teenager who was supposed to be in charge of me for the week, um, it was a pretty lonely feeling. Now, the story has a happy ending because I, I really enjoyed camp and actually even went back the next year and, and did it again. But for that first day, and especially that first night, I was anything but a happy camper. <laughs> and in the midst of a cabin full of other kids, which was in the midst of a large camp full of even more cabins with even more kids, I was a very scared and lonely little boy. The problem, as I look back on that experience, was that in my youth and in my immaturity, I didn't fully comprehend how good my father was. And I didn't understand that I could trust him not to put me in a situation that was unhealthy or unsafe. Now for a lot of people today, and, and maybe even some of you, you wake up with this feeling of loneliness, even though you're surrounded by people. It's actually not an uncommon experience. All of us at one time or another feel misunderstood, left behind, abandoned, or in our very worst moments, unlovable. And it's in those moments when we can even feel like orphans. Not necessarily in the physical sense, but certainly in an emotional or a spiritual sense. And I believe it's that orphan spirit, if you want to call it that, that causes people to do a lot of very unlovely things. People who feel lonely and hopeless and abandoned are the ones who try to end their lives. Those same people are also the ones who will greedily grasp for power in an attempt to feel meaningful and even climb over and on top of others on their way to success. People who feel unloved grapple for affirmation, jostle for recognition, and sometimes even intentionally harm others in their quest for significance. Where love is supposed to be, there's only fear. And if ever there was a time of year that seems to magnify these feelings of loneliness, it's the Christmas season, which really goes beyond being ironic because the elimination of all of those things is the reason Jesus came in the first place. So I want to see what God has got to say about this whole situation tonight. And for just a few minutes, we're going to look at the Gospel of John. And it's John chapter 14, verses 18 through 24. 
So John 14, verses 18 through 24. And this is Jesus speaking. So John is recording the words of Jesus. And Jesus begins by saying, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Now, why would Jesus say that in, in, in the midst of, of all of this? Well, it's probably because he notices that the disciples are experiencing perceptible anxiety. And the reason for that is that if you kind of were to read backwards up into chapter 13, you would see that he has just informed them that he's about to leave. And their whole world has been so wrapped up with Jesus, especially over these last few years, that the prospect that he was leaving, that he was going to depart them, must have been devastating. And emotionally, they can only contemplate the loss of Jesus the way a child thinks about the loss of his parents. So the image that he uses for them is orphans. But in so doing, he assures them that they will not be left desolate and alone. Move on to verse 19 through 21. He continues by saying, In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Now notice here the emphasis that he places on behavior. You see, a person doesn't show that the Holy Spirit lives in them by some bizarre behavior or some weird belief. It's by knowing and obeying the commandments of Jesus. Obedience is the lifestyle of loving God. The disciples' response of love and obedience to Jesus is what leads them into a deeper intimacy, especially with the Father. For Jesus said, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And by loving and obeying Jesus, we are able to know more deeply his reality as the risen Lord. Now, I have noticed that as it pertains to obedience, many Christians admit to wishing that God would reveal himself more openly. They, now, we might often say this either to ourselves or we might sometimes even voice it out loud where we say, if only God would show me what to do. I wish God would reveal himself. See, we want God to show us exactly what he wants us to do. I would argue that in many instances, this is attempted manipulation disguised as prayer. We may think we're asking God for clear directions that we can carry out. 
But in practice, what we really are doing is we, we want to know first what God wants us to do so then we can decide if we want to obey or not. Jesus, however, listed obedience before revelation. He said, in effect, obey what you know and you will know more. And so if we truly love God, we not only hang on his every word, but we also take our duty seriously. And when we feel confused or that we lack answers, what we should ask is how we can better follow through on the directions that he's previously given us. I see this sometimes in the case with people who are always after another prophetic word. They constantly want to hear, you know, someone who has some prophetic gifting is in the church, and they're, they're always running up to them saying, you know, has God got a word for me? Has God got a word for me? Has God got a word for me? And I think oftentimes that God probably chooses not to say anything else to them because he's still waiting on them to do what he told them to do the very first time he spoke to them. And I think that's sometimes the way it is with us. We have to remember that obedience comes before revelation. And then to finish out this passage, there was a disciple named Judas, and this is not Judas Iscariot. But so Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. Now, the, these farewell speeches of Jesus that we find in um, this chapter and also in chapters 15 and 16, they say a lot about the world as a place of danger and darkness. And it's the place where the disciples are going to find themselves after Jesus is gone. It's a place where we find ourselves now. And Jesus tells his followers that they will know him because they will love him by obeying his word. And the world, by contrast, isn't going to do either of these things. But, but, when someone, especially someone from the world, chooses to do these things, there's an amazing thing that happens. When someone believes God comes to make his home in him or her, but what exactly does that mean? Sounds kind of mystical, weird maybe. Well, to, to really understand it a little bit better, I, I went in and we're going to have to do a really quick dive into Greek. All right, and we're not going to stay long. We're just going to go and down and come right back up. So we're not going <laughs> to spend a lot of time on this. 
But the Greek word that's translated as home in this verse, verse 23, is mone, like the artist. And it means an abode or a mansion. But what is really interesting, if you look a little bit further, the root of the word actually is a verb. And the verb is meno. And it means to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand, or to tarry. And that's the picture that Jesus is trying to give us here. Is that this idea of <clears throat> making his home in you means that he's there to stay. And it's obedience towards Jesus and towards the commandments that he's given us that opens the door and invites God to come in and live with us. Ezekiel was one of the great Old Testament prophets. And he foretold a time when God would dwell with the redeemed people of this new covenant community that was going to exist outside of the, the old Jewish covenant. And in the 37th chapter, 27th verse of, his, of the book that bears his name, Ezekiel writes this, My dwelling shall be with them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so God's dwelling in us is this genuine, present sharing of the heavenly life that exists in the Father's house. Now you might ask, well, what's the, what's the point of this? Well, I think the point is that as we gather here on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of Jesus, this is what I want you to remember. Jesus was born to make his home in you. There are no orphans in the kingdom of God. It's a testimony to the goodness of the Father, our Heavenly Father that he wants to make sure that we are never alone. Yes, Jesus came to bear the punishment of our sins so that we would no longer be separated from God by our sin. But the whole reason for removing that barrier is so that relationship can be the result. And by relationship, I'm not talking about being merely acquaintances of God. Although there probably are some that maybe where you would how you would describe their relationship. It's not what God desires though. It's we're not talking about being friends of God. Although God does call us friend. But we're talking ultimately about a relationship that is so close and so intimate that God himself describes it as making his home in you. Jesus was born to make his home in you. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born. Joy to the world, 
Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and all of the other songs that we sing at Christmas time. That's the good news. The best news, the news of Christmas, is that Jesus was born to make his home in you. And so this Christmas Eve, you, you no longer have to live as an orphan. in any part of your life. Maybe you're a believer who has drifted off and grown kind of lukewarm in your faith. Maybe you've already given Jesus most of your life, but now you've come to understand that it's not most that he wants, but all. Maybe you've never understood the need for a relationship with Jesus in the past. But now it finally makes sense. Just as I was fortunate to have had a good father in the physical realm, we all have a heavenly father who is good and who also will not put us in situations that are unsafe or unhealthy. And it's because of this that your long wandering of self-sufficiency, no matter what that might look like to you, can now be over. Your Father is waiting for you in a home that is alight and bright with a hearth fire that is his love for you. Tonight is your homecoming. Make it count. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus tonight and on into tomorrow, choose this time to accept in your heart, either for the first time or perhaps more confidently than you ever have before, the reality that Jesus was born to make his home in you. Amen. We are going to um, celebrate a time of communion. And we're going to do this a little bit differently than we have, have done communion in the past. I'm going to ask John and uh, Mark to come up here with me. And we're going to have three uh, stations for communion. Um, and if those, uh, well, just wait a second. Yeah, wait a second. So we'll have someone over there, someone over there, and then I'll, I'll be here in the middle. And um, what I want you to do is we want to ser not only serve you communion, but we want to bless you. And just pray a blessing over you as we, you know, sort of end this year and begin a new year in just a short week. And so if there, what I would like for you to do is you can come up any way that you really like. We're not going to go in any particular order. So it might be a little chaotic, but that's okay. We're going to... If you want to, you can come up as a family, if you're here with your family. That would be wonderful. If you want to come up as um, a group of friends, 
If you want to just come up by yourself, it, it, whatever works for you works for us. And we'll, we're going to serve you communion, and then we're going to pray um, over you and just bless you as you uh, go into uh, Christmas tomorrow and then into the new year.